Theronathon. We're going on a very hard walking journey through the military career of Charlize <laughs> Theron. My name is Bob Shields, and with me, as always, are Robin Hitchcock. Hello. And Regina Connolly. Good evening, or morning. I don't know when you listen. <laughs> this week, we're reviewing Men of Honor, 2000's military diving biography starring uh, Cooper Gooding Jr. or Cuba Gooding Jr. as we recently discovered, Robert De Niro, Charlize Theron, and a colorful cast of other folk. What did we think? Do we have a one sound review? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is. Oh. This is a very middle of the road movie. It sure is. It- Yes. No, <laughs> Regina, uh, she said before we started recording she was going to have a controversial opinion, so just let us let us have oh, it. Oh, I just meant in the in the rankings. I feel like when I oh. list my rankings, you might, uh, you guys might give me guff. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, I'm dying to find out. Um, let me do a quick summary. Yes, please. If I may. So this movie starts in the present with a Robert... It's not the present. It's well, the 60s. It's the present of the movie, I guess. Right. But it, it is set in the 60s. It has a weird timeline... It's Continue. like a, it's sort of formatted like a prequel sequel yes. of its own self. So you see Robert De Niro, and he's all like watching TV and covered in blood, and then he fights with some dude. He's handcuffed, guy. but he has a fight with guys where he has handcuffs on. Right, and yeah. he's defending the honor of Cuba Gooding Jr., who he sees on the screen. And then we flash back to Cuba Gooding Jr. quitting school so that he could farm with his dad as a sharecropper. My, yes, as a sharecropper. My favorite thing about this, though, is that I was watching it with Colin, and he said, why does Robert De Niro have Cuba Gooding Jr.'s memories? <laughs> 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 really set up like a framing story, like yes. he's looking back. But no, it's just, here is... Robert De Niro in the 60s, let's go back to the 1940s and look at Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character. Cuba Gooding Jr. has barely appeared on screen. Correct. He has not, he appeared in the screen, in the screen, in black and white on the TV. So this movie does a lot of, hey, we're going to cut from one of these characters to the other so that you see that there are parallels between their (laughs) lives, even though they're different. Aren't they cut from the same cloth, viewer? <laughs> but we see Cuba Gooding Jr. being like, Dad, you cannot farm this whole farm by yourself. The world is set against you. I will give up school to help you. And the dad is like, no, don't be like me. Oh, shit, is it Friday? All right, you got to be like me. Let's let's uh, get that wheat in. And then, uh, so that happens. And then I think this is one of my favorite time cuts. You see a child being like, go on, Jane, to plow. And then all of a sudden it's a shirtless adult Cuba Gooding Jr. also saying, come on, Jane, I'm still plowing. Cuba Gooding Jr. was keeping it tight. He definitely was. And he was bringing those abs uh, to the recruiter who was like, come join the Navy. It's going to be full of possibility. Quick cut to him in the kitchen at the Navy. And they're like, yeah, even though it's a desegregated military, it's still super segregated. And you will only be a cook or a valet or you will leave the Navy. But because his dad was like, don't be like me, do everything the best. He was like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stay as a 
a cook. And he decides to begin his epic journey of breaking barriers by uh, jumping into the ocean when it's not his day to swim. And then they're like, we're impressed and annoyed because we are white military men. So we will reward your bravery, but also not really still stay in segregated quarters. That's basically that sentence happens over and over and over again in this movie. Correct. That's basically what happens. Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character, who is a real person named Carl Brashear. Correct. <laughs> so Carl Brashear will do something brave or cool, and everybody will be like, wow, that was brave or cool, but inappropriate. Yeah, how and dare then- you? Also, they will do things where they're like, we're gonna fuck up the rules for you, but still adhere to the rules when you exceed our expectations. Yeah. Uh, so basically, like, uh, there are a series of events that illustrate to you that racism was bad, but sort of in a very glossy, quick sort of way, I this suppose. Is a movie that you could show a suburban white high school class. Yes, for sure. Yeah. It's a racism exists and is bad movie that is palatable for white audiences. Yes, because we're only going to focus on one African-American character and everyone else around them will be white people. And I felt like this was, I feel like the scene that both makes this for a suburban middle school class or high school class was at some point when he he finally is in the barracks, he's going to become a diver because that's what he decides he wants to be. Robert De Niro walks in and is like, everyone say welcome to our new recruit. And then one angry white person is like, I'm not bunking here. And he goes off and then almost everybody leaves. And then there's two white people quivering in their boots. Are they going to stay? And one of them is like, I can't. The pressure to conform. And so like all the audience members can be like, see, not everyone was evil. There were some people who just were weak, but not total assholes. And I was like, I mean, I guess you can have that character. I did like how the one white guy who remains, yes. Michael Rappaport. <laughs> Who's oh, great. great. He's great in everything. One of the people I went to high school with, her dad was Michael Rappaport's dentist. Drop. <laughs> I think my favorite line in this entire movie is when Cuba Gooding Jr. is like, aren't you going to leave like everybody else? And his response is, well, no, I'm from Wisconsin. It's the best. And then that's never, and Cuba Gooding Jr. is like, I don't know what that means. And then the movie continues. What does that mean? It means the people in Wisconsin are really nice, right? I thought it was... I, I don't know the history of America that well, so yeah. I was like, were they, was he just being like, things weren't as segregated there? And I was like, mm, I don't know, that's true. Also, he is immediately punished for his non-conforming ways and is kicked out of diving school. And then we watch Cuba Gooding Jr. in diving school, and Robert De Niro is just like, full-on racist at him throughout. Terrible things happen. For example, he saves someone. Two dudes, they're doing a diving thing, and oh my god, something goes wrong, and they are having trouble getting out, and luckily Cuba Gooding Jr. is already suited up to go in, and he goes in to save them. And then the one guy who's already there was like, fuck this, I'm not dying underwater. Whatever, I'm out. But Cuba Gooding Jr. stays, and he saves him, and then he comes out, and everyone looks at the bad Navy guy and is like, you let a man behind. But then he gets awarded the Medal he of gets Honor. He medal. For what Cuba Gooding Jr. did, and he just stands there and has to watch the other guy not only not wash out of the program, but get this medal, and then later he will be one of the people who finishes first from the school. Yeah. So the school happens. Uh, we see a weird bar scene where Charlize Theron finally arrives in the movie, like an About hour, an hour in, in. An hour in, and she is all drunk, and she's like, I'm Robert De Niro's wife, and he's a shitty husband, because all he cares about is how he used to dive, but then he got injured and has an embolism, so he can't dive anymore. Let's go in this bar where you're not allowed. And then the weirdest thing in the entire universe it's happens. so weird. Is it, yeah, this is the maddest part of the movie. He Mad go- means crazy for British people. Yes. He goes into this bar, and he is about to have a fight. He being Carl Brashier Jr.? Or just Carl Brashier Jr. comes know. from Cuba Gooding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
Carl is like, God, what is Robert De Niro's character's name? It's such a good name. Billy Sunday. Great. So he's like, Billy Sunday, you're not as good as me. And Billy Sunday is like, I did this amazing thing when I was a diver. You think you're better than me? And luckily, they have this disagreement in a bar that happens to have two diving helmets that fill with water so you can have a hold your breath off (laughs) in a bar. They're like... Decked out like a, on like a pole, holding them up, and they like wheel it out from the back. Yeah, they're like you know, some bars have darts. Some bars enjoy a fine selection of different brews on tap. We will hold your breath off till someone's nose bleeds for fun. That actually does happen. Correct. So they do this. Spoiler: Guess who wins? It's the person who's overcoming adversity. It's true, uh, and also not fucking old and with fucked up lungs. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I don't necessarily think that it was because Carl was, like, a better man. He was younger and healthier. Also, I'm going to go on the record and say, I don't care how long you can hold your breath for. That's not a judgment for your moral character or your standing as a human being. Well, that's why you're not a Navy woman. That's true. I am not a man of honor. And also, good! That sounds like a horrible thing to do. So anyway, there's a long, tense shot of, like, looking at... Robert De Niro with his face in water, looking at Cuba Gooding Jr. with his face in water, looking at the bar being like, they are not breathing in that water. Also, when the water is filling up, they just sit there patiently, or stand there patiently, and like, Robert De Niro looks so bored as like, water rises past the bridge of his nose. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, this is what I'm doing with my talent? All right. So the, 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 my favorite part about this scene is both that, where they're, they're both just sat there looking kind of bored and like, this is no big deal for me kind of thing. But also the guy who's calling out the time is like, they've been under for one minute and ten seconds, blah, blah. And he just seems to call out at random intervals. <laughs> He's not like, two minutes, three minutes. He's like, two minutes and fifteen seconds, four minutes and eight seconds. And you're like, why are you calling out at that in those intervals? Everything about the scenario is bizarre, including the fact that his girlfriend from the library shows up and just looks at him with sadness in her eyes. Like, how dare you have a, I can't breathe off in a bar. I can't be with a man who would put his head in a thing of water to prove he's better than another man. Which, like, that's kind of legitimate. And then they leave, and she's like, I can't do this! And then he chases after her cab and is like, marry me! And the cab driver's like, that boy wants to marry you. Oh, so weird. And then they hug. And she agrees. And she's like, yeah. And also, in between that part, there's a random part where a hysterical Charlize Theron crashes her car and is all, like, forlorn and wailing in the street, which everyone just kind of walks past and ignores. Yeah. (laughs) I think that they imply she was trying to kill herself, that she was trying to drive her car off the pier. I think the movie is constantly being like, she's off the rails because her husband is obsessed with his failed diving career and is a terrible husband, and they're both semi-alcoholics, and so this is her being dramatic, and like, he ruined their anniversary because this is what they did on their anniversary, and so she's going to ruin it by wrecking the car. I guess. Let's talk for a second about how (laughs) Charlize Theron plays Robert De Niro's wife in this movie. Robert De Niro was born in 1943, and Charlize Theron was born in 1975. So he is 32 years older than her. I definitely, when I saw her name in the credits on IMDb, they had, they had the last name, thought she would be playing his daughter. Which I, a character does ask. I think that's a plot point, yeah. Do you know what that could have also been a plot point for <laughs> a 35-year-old actress? <laughs> like, this is just gross. I also, like, I'm like, okay, 
So you managed to get this much younger, dramatically more beautiful person. Like, absurdly more And beautiful. he can barely bother to make eye contact with her throughout the entire movie. Yeah. He's like, ugh, she looks amazing, and somehow wants to hang out with me even though I'm a washed up piece of shit. Can we Ebert or Mebert now? It's relevant. Yes. Okay. Ebert or Mebert. But the screenplay betrays some evidence of knee-jerk front office requirements. How else to explain the character of Gwen, the Master Chief's wife? She is simply unnecessary to the picture. And although Theron's performance is professional, it's beside the point. Uh, I think that's an Ebert. Yes, yes, that is an Ebert. (laughs) All right, I'm gonna... gonna Which is just so true. It's just so true. I actually strenuously disagree with that. Okay. Uh, Because I think that... I really like Charlize Theron in this movie, not just because I have a podcast about her and delight in her. Of course. But I actually think that she is the only one who remotely indicates the actual personal sacrifice that goes into a relationship when you have a monomaniacal obsession with being the best at X or Y. You didn't get get that from From Carl's wife? no, No. Because I felt like Carl's wife was very generic and very like... How could you? Okay. Like, they didn't... Yeah. It was just more... She was more a good woman for him, and it felt more like a trope, and I felt like seeing Gwen being sort of, you know, what she was, and, like, vaguely out of control, but also because she's Charlize there, and, like, making the most of very minimal screen time, and, like, actually, I think, showing, like, how fucking miserable it would be to interact with Sunday. Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday. Nay, Leslie Sunday. Yes. <laughs> I actually thought that... The the thing with Charlize and Billy Sunday was unnecessary because we were also getting it from Carl and his wife. And I thought that that was one of the examples mm-hmm. of this thing you're talking about with, like, oh, yeah. forced parallel. character parallels. Yes. And I wrote in all caps in my notes, Brandy, you're a fine girl. Yeah. Because that's basically what this movie is about, is I can't be a good husband to you because I like the ocean too much. <laughs> that is true. But I felt like, I felt like Joe, uh, that's, uh, Carl Brashier's wife was more the, like a character in a song style. Like, I can't really love you because I love the sea too much. Yeah. Whereas I felt like Charlize Theron was a slightly different presentation of that. Okay. Uh, and also that you see, you see the negative effects of it on her rather than just hear her say, I can't do this anymore. Like you actually see her suffer. I felt like you saw Joe suffer like in the, let's continue with the plot summary. Yes, alright. <laughs> uh, so, alright. So where were we? Marriage so, proposal. Oh yeah, so they're getting married. She like taught him how to learn better because he had quit school, but he was passing his tests, and then he's finally coming up to the final test, and the pappy, who's the head of the whole how diving Holbrook. school... And hasn't appeared really, except for he's just literally in a little creepy tower the entire time with his pug brought up to him by bucket. So he, like, never comes down and mixes with the common people, whatever color they may be, but he does not want a colored person in his diving thing. And he talks to Robert De Niro about, like, how it's totally unacceptable, you don't let him pass, and then Robert De Niro confronts Cuba Gooding Jr. is like, just don't show up for the test tomorrow. But of course he shows up for the test tomorrow. And so their way of cheating the test, rather than just intimidating him and yelling at him, is to cut his tool bag so that all of the tools that he needs to assemble a flange underwater in freezing cold water are scattered everywhere. And he's allowed to stay underwater as long as he wants to do it. And everyone else finishes in under four hours, but he's there for over nine hours, still picking up little nuts and bolts on the river bed. And he manages to do it. 
And they're like, well, even though we cut your bag and even though we don't want you to do it, we respect the hell out of the fact that you did it for nine hours. So we are going to pass you. And as a result of that, Robert De Niro is kicked out of his teaching position, which was his consolation job for the fact that he couldn't be a diver anymore. And then it jumps ahead in time very quickly. Yeah. And because like, that part of the story that is interesting is over so let's get to the next part of this guy's life that's interesting yeah yeah we snap back to the present they also i feel like this is where the movie stops uh wanting to say anything about segregation or racism in the military and is like now we're just gonna pretend like that's over it's like in the 60s people stopped being racist (laughs) right and also it's like i felt like part of the movie was like every step of the way things were difficult for him but like but now he made divers so that's not going to continue to be true but by the end of the movie he's still the only one yeah, well, uh, but everyone's nice to him. Now. And also, like <laughs> sort at, of. at the very beginning, like someone, the guy who's like arresting Robert De Niro uses the N word, mm. and Robert De Niro immediately headbutts him for it. So you're like, though, just so you know, Robert De Niro is, is on the side of right side of history. He does not think the N word is okay until you then go back in time, and he's like, oh, he uses it all the time. Yeah, he's super racist. <laughs> yeah, super racist. Um, I have a quote from Ebert about Mr. Pappy. <laughs> Oh, please. I wonder if Mr. Pappy needs to be such a nut job, surveying his realm from living quarters in a water tower. He is less a commanding officer than a refugee from the guys with the butterfly nets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Also, he uses, like, such, like, heavy... I'm like, for someone who's a... A person who lives in a water tower and has his dog brought to him by bucket. He is not a direct person. Like, he won't just come out and say, like, I don't want that guy to pass the test. He's like... If you put two tablespoons of motor oil, that can ruin all the potable water on a ship. Get my drift. And it's like, what? And Robert De Niro's just sitting there with his, like, fucking corncob pipe, like, why am I doing this movie? <laughs> uh, so. I mean, look, Robert De Niro appears to be enjoying chewing up the scenery and being an asshole and yelling at people. Doing his accent. Doesn't do an accent very often. That's true. Yeah. Um, it is a silly accent. Yes. yes. So anyway, so it, it cuts forward in time. Carl Brashear has successfully become the first African-American Navy diver. And they're like, great, we'll put you on a standby diver role. And he's like, no, I will do everything to continue to move forward to become a master diver level. And then we cut to the present of the movie again. Which and is we, 1966? Yes. And this is where the movie very much is like, plot A, what's happening to Robert De Niro? Plot B, what's happening to Cuba Gooding Jr.? Are they similar? Yes, they are. Uh, we see him get a nuclear bomb from the ocean floor. A hydrogen bomb. A hydrogen bomb. bomb. So yeah. he successfully finds a hydrogen bomb on the ocean floor. And as they're raising a hydrogen bomb, which you think they would, I don't know, take care with, a rope snaps and then a metal thing rung, yeah. rung like pulls off of the ship and it can't just be a freak accident. It must be a heroic freak accident. So Cuba Gooding Jr. pushes other Navy men out of the way and this metal thing like nearly chops his leg off, which is very grisly. I and- literally, I am not exaggerating, almost passed out. It's, wow. I had, I, they, I had to put my head between my knees and Colin had to bring me a cool cloth. I was <laughs> not doing well. Oh, wow. <laughs> they show him laying on the, on the deck and his leg is not completely detached, but it is laying in such a way that you're like, it is detached. I am getting nauseous thinking about it right now. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, the only thing I want to say about that effect is I feel like if this movie were made today, there would have been blood everywhere. Yeah. And I feel like this was a, an example of, uh, more subtle storytelling still having a great yes, impact. Yeah, it's not, it's not 127 hours level of gross. Ugh. 
I there's a reason I've never seen 127 hours. <laughs> Me <season>. too. <laughs> Actually, I like did some research, and the incident where Carbacher was injured happened at a separate time. Yeah, and they just combined it because of movie reasons. Hmm. But I completely agree that that combination seems a little excessive. It seems <laughs> it seems a little movie ish. Yeah, I yeah. feel like when you're moving a hydrogen bomb, like mm-hmm. you're pretty careful. I don't know. Just a guess. I haven't moved one. (laughs) So he's in the hospital and he sees like that his leg is not doing well and they want him to retire. Robert De Niro is in a mental institution. He's in detox. Yes. So basically he's he's in rehab. He's in rehab, but he's in the detox portion of rehab. So he's like legit having mental episodes. Okay. Uh, Charlize visits him here and is kind of like, look, if you stop drinking and accept that you'll never dive again, we can be together. But if not, you just walk on by. And then she walks away. He's like, nope, no dice. With his yeah. eyes. With his dead eyes. Yeah, there's a lot in this movie of both Cuba Gooding Jr. and Robert De Niro being like, the way that men of honor react is by just staring into the distance. <laughs> True. And yeah. so it's like, all this stuff is happening around them, and then it's just these muted faces. And I was like, oh, take two super emotive and expressive actors and just make them stonewall. That seems like a great idea. But And then we cut immediately to Cuba Gooding Jr. also having a fight with his wife, who's like, Hey, BT Dubs, I'm a doctor. Maybe talk to me before you decide that you want to cut your leg off so that you can still be a diver. And the reason he's going to do that is because Robert De Niro sends him an article that's like, hey, I know your leg's messed up, but if you remove it, you could still probably be on active duty because pilots have done that. Right. That was the scene that made me think, like, oh, I'm actually really feeling genuine emotion from Joe, even though I agree that sometimes her character is kind of yes underwritten. I would agree that that is her best scene, particularly that mm. line of like, I successfully became a right. doctor. You should respect what I've achieved in this world as well and yeah. listen to me. Uh, About but, this medical issue. <laughs> yeah, but instead he just stares at the opposite wall and then she kisses his head dramatically and he continues to stare. Uh, and then we get montages of him having lost his leg and him doing like push-ups like, and... Just cookie cutter training montage. Oh my god! Yes. Just it's like the Black Rocky. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I really wanted Eye of the Tiger to come. But on. it was not as good as Creed. <laughs> <laughs> and then for and then Robert De Niro shows up and is basically going to help him through this training process to stick it to a pencil pusher that was there when he injured himself back in the day. And the pencil pusher has the thinnest motivation in the entire movie. Call- He's like. Was like, why does this guy care so much? Right. And I was like, I literally can't tell you because it's uh, it's not that he's super racist. It's yeah, right. because at this point the movie is not talking about racism anymore. Right. I think at this part of the he movie just, it's talking about tradition versus needless movement towards modernity. Like I think he basically represents like the navy becoming less manly than it used to be. That's one hundred percent correct. And I'm like, you know what's not as good of a villain? That. Um, <laughs> Like, way to downgrade the things that he right. has to yeah. be up against. Bureaucracy, that's what he's now up against. Yeah. Yeah, He. this guy is, like, punishing Carl because he hates Robert De Niro so much. Because he, like, decked him a bunch of times. Right. Literally and metaphorically. Right. So anyway, so there's a montage. We see him with a prosthetic, and then they basically, like... Robert De Niro uses his influence as a disgraced naval officer, but who's still pals with some higher-ups, to get Cuba Gooding Jr. a hearing where he can contest his retirement, and he is made to walk 12 steps in the new diving suit to prove that an old man with one leg can still do all the steps that a new man could do. Let's talk about the diving suit for a second. So, <laughs> the diving suits in this movie, if to picture them, it's like, you know, in a fish tank, you have that little diving man yeah. with, like, the big 
round head with a gate in front of it. That's their diving suits. The new diving suit that the pencil pusher has introduced is that, but rose gold. Yeah, it's a shinier one. My my second favorite line in this movie, Robert De Niro says something about the brass in the diving suit, and the pencil pusher's like, I think you'll find it spun copper. We haven't used brass for at least a decade. It's amazing, and it reminds me of Johnny Five getting gold-plated in Short Circuit Dad. I just want to start saying whenever I, like, arbitrarily know something stupid, uh, I think you'll find it's spun copper. I mean, come on, guys. Everybody knows that. Also, because this is a movie that is following the book A, B, C to D, who should be in the courtroom but the wives of the men to be like, we still like ya. So, Even though it's heavily implied that both of those relationships are over. Correct. Yep. Also, like, I don't know the timeline between the amputation Neither, and... It's unclear. It's very because unclear. Because it's a montage. It's a lot, yeah. So, uh, he puts the suit on, and then he's supposed to get people to help him stand up. He's like, you can't help him stand up. He's got to do it himself. And then he takes 12 steps. And it takes a very long time, and it is not as dramatic as the movie thinks it is. <laughs> There's a moment when you think he might not make the 12 steps, but then you're like, wait, this is the movie I'm watching. Of course he's going to make the 12 steps. It's also somewhat negated by the fact that after the last, tw- well, the 12th staggering, unbelievably difficult step, he counts to 12, and then just kind of stumbles up and straightens his feet up. And you're like, wait, that didn't look very heavy when you did that at the very <laughs> end there. <laughs> so then he sits down and they take off the big brass thing. And I have to say, I saw some of the worst child acting I've ever seen in a movie. Because <laughs> the wife comes up and his son comes up and his son like gets in his lap and just puts his head to the side against <laughs> the suit and looks so <laughs> blank. He's just like, now is when I sit here and you're like oh glad you're so proud of your dad like it's super weird anyway then at long last the thing i was waiting for the entire movie happens screen goes black and we get white text that says what happened for the rest of his life (laughs) and i love that device so much and i don't care that it's stupid and i don't care that people don't like doing it anymore why don't people like doing it it's so helpful i want to know so satisfying when you're like oh he did become a master diver and he didn't retire for another nine years huh and then you're like you could cover that much ground in one title card why was this movie over two hours it is two hours and nine minutes long which is too long (laughs) i would have also loved if they had done the thing where they show the real person next to the actor love that guys there are things are cliche for a reason and these (laughs) are biopic or biopic i never know I would say biopic. Biopic. It's Cuba, not Cuba. It's mm-hmm. biopic, not biopic. <laughs> yeah, they're they're cliches for a reason. They're great. Show us what these people look like. Save us a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Okay. So Charlie's in this movie. Yeah, speaking of Charlie's in this movie, we've talked a little bit about whether or not Roger Ebert was right or not, but what did you guys think of her performance in this role? So one thing I did think was interesting that I feel like they did age her up a bit. Okay, she was 25 in this movie, and I think that they successfully made her look 30. <laughs> um, it was definitely so far of the movies that we've seen from her before this time it was a new kind of character for her mm-hmm. I think she was pushing herself a bit more and I really like Charlize acting drunk I think she yes, is I made that yeah. note too I was she's like, she's just so good at it <laughs> she is I think my favorite part of her performance in this movie and I 
request a gif, please, mm-hmm. is when Robert Downey, I keep wanting to say that, when Robert De Niro <laughs> and Cuba Gooding Jr. are fighting with each other in the bar that she brought him into and she's like pissed off about her anniversary, just this look of total contempt and disdain like washes over oh, her that, face. I know exactly what you're talking about. He's telling the story of how he got the corncob pipe and she's like, this fucking guy. Yeah. And she like waves her hand and you just see every time she's heard the story all of her, like, animosity towards him and her resignation, and she doesn't say a word, and the camera's just on her for, like, three seconds, and I'm like, frankly, I think that's the best acting in the whole movie. She also does some good face acting when she's leaving the bar, and she, like, runs into Cuba Gooding Jr.'s girlfriend at the time, and just, they kind of give each other this look of, like... Oh my god, men, right? And <laughs> I also felt like she was apologizing. Yes, exactly. She looks apologetic, she looks embarrassed and annoyed. And she puts all of these emotions into one look with this woman. And honestly, I'm like kind of like want to give this movie a, a well, I guess it would still be about men. I wanted to give it like a pass on the second prong of the Bechdel test just because <laughs> the look says so much. Yeah. But, but the screenwriter didn't write them. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I I agree with you on those two points. And I'm like, the problem is that the character has too little screen time to really take advantage of Charlize mm-hmm. very much. Right. Um, so it, it, it's almost like this movie doesn't deserve her to be as good as she is. 100%. So I'm just like, yeah. It was, it, and also, like, I, I hesitate to say that it was like a criminal misuse of her, like, almost down to two days in the valley level of one-notedness. Um, but, you know, in comparison to what, how she was in Bagger Vance, which is in the same year, she's infinitely better and more compelling in Bagger Vance than she is here. I don't think so. I don't think I agree. I, I think that she was, she's shown more in Bagger Vance because everything around her was so shit terrible. Right. I think that in this movie, she is doing just as good of a job. Maybe slightly less. She doesn't smack her knee or anything, but mm. I feel like we do have this beautiful, giveable moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just that the rest of the movie doesn't so desperately need that breath of fresh Charlize. I also think a thing that is interesting for me about this role and, and Two Days in the Valley is it's not that much time difference. How many years between those movies? Two Days in the Valley? Oh, that's like four years. The the difference in her performance between Two Days in the Valley and this as, like, the only role is, like, as a girlfriend, like, it, it's, I'm like, who can learn that much in four years? Like, I, I think, I, I do think she's very good in this role, even though she has, like, a, probably less than, like, ten minutes yeah. of screen time. Right. Can I just say acting lessons work? Yeah. <laughs> I realize I'm, I'm slightly biased here because I do teach a performing art. But it works, right? Like, there are a lot of performers who start out really clunky and then figure it out. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's just that they, like, happen upon how to act. I think that they study and they get better. Yeah. This is a movie, I know we don't do this uh, segment very often because it doesn't often come up, but I am curious if you think that this movie would survive a cell phone. Like, could the storyline have happened if characters had texting and calling each other and Google Maps? Well, I don't think that we have cell phones that survive in deep water conditions, do we? Uh, I think they do make them. Okay. So, I guess that they could, uh, text from the bottom of the ocean, yo, where's my bolt? (laughs) (laughs) You dick emoji. Also, can I ask, what's a flange? (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, I honestly don't know. I think it's just like an extra bit of something. It is, I think, it a is, plumbing thing, but I'm going to... It's slang for a vagina in the UK. No! <laughs> Jesus. Almost everything's slang for vagina in the UK. But What's the best one? Clunge, probably. What? <laughs> <laughs> clunge? Yep. Do you guys like vaginas? <laughs> <laughs> oh, none of them are flattering. Okay. So what it is, it's a projecting flat rim, collar, or rib of an object serving to strengthen or attach on a wheel to maintain position on a rail. So when you, like, fasten a pipe to another pipe, yes. you know, it's, like, fatter on the yeah. outside, That's that thing that's fatter is the flange. Okay. But not the phalange. A blind no, flange. Yeah. That's uh-huh. a phalanges, and they're spelled differently. Okay. Flange is F-L-A-N-G-E, and phalanges is P-H-A-L-A-N-G-E. Okay. Anyway, guys, it's super fun. Bob, do you think this movie would sorry. survive the cell phone? <laughs> I'm sorry that no. I was like, screw your segment, I want to talk about oh. technology. Oh, wait, I want to say a thing right now. Apologies, I did know what a funeral beer was, but I didn't <laughs> know that it was pronounced beer. I thought it was pronounced buyer, so I was being a smartass, and I was getting it wrong. And I just uh, I just want to apologize for that. For our irregular listeners, that was three episodes ago that she made that mistake. <laughs> for our irregular listeners... <laughs> What's going on? Come on. Every episode's a good one. Catch up, okay? Anyway, would the survivor cell phone have shields? Uh, I think so, because, I mean, generally, in the moments of peril, they're in constant communication the whole time. They have, like, a radio link. So, controversially, I think that part of the, the reason this movie would not necessarily survive a cell phone is because I think some of the most emotional moments are what are supposed to be the most emotional moments. That was hard to say. <laughs> most emotional moments uh, are about being isolated from your family. Like, he basically finds out oh, that his, when dad, his dad died. That's yeah. some good face acting. That yeah. was when yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, Cuba Gooding Jr. is a good actor. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I think he's good. Yeah. I think the two of them are great actors. Yeah. I just think that they are... No, I think Robert De Niro is overrated. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. He's a treasure. Just kidding, guys. I am not I am not kidding about him being a treasure. I was kidding about him being overrated. Or is she? Oh my uh, god. <laughs> <laughs> Robert De Niro, you're amazing. Um, so Cuba Gooding Jr. calls his mom and be like, hey, how's dad? Is he doing better? And then his whole face crumples inside of itself and we're all like, Oh shit, that guy is dead. Dead. And I think it's supposed to be about like the sacrifice that he makes, like, and his dad at the very beginning was like, never come back to the farm. And so when people said goodbye then, it was actually goodbye. Actually goodbye. Yeah. Because you could send letters, but you never knew when you were gonna see them again, and it's like he just never saw his father again. So I feel like this movie tries very hard to have deep emotional arcs, and it doesn't often successfully do that. And so I feel like if you were able to like, I don't know, get a text from his mom being like, come home. Send a selfie. Yeah, like, so, look at me in the hospital with your dad. It's serious. I don't know. The sailor said, Brandy, yeah. text me later. <laughs> I will say, there is actually a lot of good, like, especially face in helmet acting yes. in this movie. There's a lot of, like, old school mime uh, when they're, like, sailors in peril or, like, divers yeah. in peril under the water and, like, also contrasted with a close-up of their face, like, looking around inside a helmet. Yeah. It's really, it's actually kind of well done. I mean, the the, the sort of slow-motion peril miming is kind of, ter- can be a little silly at times, it seems, where they're kind of, like, frantically waving their arms in slow motion like they're trying to signal a bus. <laughs> While but, looking like little figurines in a tank. Yeah. It's so weird because that's, like, my only reference point for that kind of diving suit is a little toy in a fish tank. For me, yeah. I'm like, has anyone seen Legion? It's like that oh, guy. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I think that Cuba Gooding Jr. was well cast in this because I think we all know why he's a great face actor. It's because his uh, amazing role in the 
amazing movie, <laughs> Lightning Jack, where he plays a mute, so he does a lot of like, I'm doing stuff with my face. And full disclosure, Baby Regina was like, this movie is amazing. That guy is so good. And I haven't seen it since then, so I don't have to revise my opinion. What a great movie. Cuba Gooding Jr., I'm so glad you're in things. Please be in more things. <laughs> Let's have Lightning Jack 2. Oh my god. <laughs> the legend of Lightning Jack's gold. <laughs> I mean, they're rebooting all other yeah. things from 20 years ago. They might as well start doing a sequel to that. So my Cuba Gooding Jr. story that I love to tell is that when I lived in Cape Town, there was a bar, there probably still is, a bar called The Orphanage. Mm-hmm. And they had, it was a very fancy cocktail bar. And they had seating, but it was only for people who were buying food. But no one was ever buying food. It was a cocktail bar. (laughs) So basically, they let you sit at the tables until someone who ordered food came in. My friend is there at a table, and the server comes over and is like, Ma'am, I'm so sorry. We're going to have to ask you to leave this table. We have a celebrity coming in. And she's like, oh, who is it? She leans in because she's probably not supposed to be telling. It's Cuba Gooding Jr. And my friend, because she's South African, says, who? <laughs> and the server says, he was in Snow Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Snow Dogs. I, if, she's not wrong. Like, I really want to meet Cuba Gooding Jr. just to tell him that story. <laughs> and he will be like, that's some of my finest work. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he just seems very joyful, so it seems like he'd be like, yeah, great, I'm glad she knows me. We made Bob watch his Oscar acceptance speech right before the, we recorded, and wasn't it wonderful? It was pretty good, yeah. yes, I gotta say. He's I a good I'd guy. I, I honestly, like, I wish he had had a better career, and I think it's great that he's sort of having a resurgence in the he last is. few years, uh, So, because there, there was a rough period of time for him the snow dogs time yes the, the recession Jack time perhaps i guess well that was before jerry Maguire, That's right fair. so yeah. anyway uh we should probably do something along the lines of who would keanu reeves play in this movie i would cast keanu as stutters mcstutterson <laughs> michael rapaport's character snow hill get out of here michael rapaport i would love to see keanu reeves as the only semi-decent person in this movie but my friend zoe's dad wasn't keanu's dentist well <laughs> sorry but it's important also the other reason i want that is because i want to see the look wash over his face when robert de niro whaps him in the belly with a giant weight belt and knocks him into the water and is like don't come up till i say so because i think that that would be his stunned face would be a beautiful thing okay. to see that's true i think I, that was my pick as well right? really yeah stutter mcstutterson because I'm like, he's just so nice. I like, I like a nice Keanu. I like a nice Keanu also. I have a different answer, and you may not remember this character, but... The taxi driver? <laughs> Who's the taxi driver? He wants to marry you. Oh, that guy. Oh, no. But similar size of role. So when we're learning that Cuba can't read, or mm-hmm. Carl can't read, or is bad at learning. Right. Oh. Carl <laughs> struggles weird. with his book test, okay? And the teacher, who is in no other scenes, comes by and says, there are seats of learning beyond the walls in control of this camp. And it's so weird that inspires him to go to the library and meet his future wife. But 
I would definitely have been like, who is this David Lynch character who just walked into my life? <laughs> I know this movie does have like weird David Lynch elements. It's like there's a dog in a bucket and a man who speaks in riddles. <laughs> and there's people on the sea scrabbling at dirt for no reason. <laughs> so I just thought that Keanu's essential strangeness mm. could bring some extra butter to that line. <laughs> Uh, there's also another character in this movie that I would recast, and that is uh, Captain Hanks, the pencil pusher. Because mm. when he had his sunglasses on at the beginning, I really thought it was Topher Grace. And he kind of sounds and talks like Topher Grace, except his eyes are kind of oddly closer together. I think he's much more handsome than to- Topher Grace. Really? I mean, he plays that kind of same character. Though. Yeah. He's like the kind of sort of slightly asshole-ish. Yeah anal character. I think that, yeah, that Topher Grace definitely could have played that role. He might have been too young in I think at the, Probably at the time he was. Yeah. yeah. That was like Ocean's Eleven time. Yeah. Oh, guys, it would be really fun if Keanu was the, the stopwatch guy. Being like, <laughs> one minute, two seconds. Four minutes and 28 seconds. Whoa. But I feel like he would distract from their faces in the water. Which they'd the be all like, we're thing in ever. the water, we're in the water! And then it would be Keanu's face just being so blank and so projectable. Ugh. Yeah, that's another, that's another thing, like a trope this movie has, is people in crowds being impressed by physical endurance. Yeah. Yes. bravery. Uh, just over and over again, it's like, wow, he can really swim to that buoy really fast. <laughs> All right, where would there be a prison riot, or is there no way a prison riot could improve this movie? I think you could easily have a prison riot in this movie. Yes. Or it could just be a ship riot. You could cause a ship riot by... In the brig. Yes. I mean, it almost breaks out into riot a couple of times because he's going swimming at the wrong time or going yeah. to the wrong bar. I feel like if they if we did have a prison riot at the beginning, it would be too dark for this movie to be shown in a high school classroom. Like, I feel like the only way it could be inserted is if it was, like, brutal. Mm. In some ways, just because I like, I feel like this movie like skirts the reality of how brutal things must have been for Carl Brashear, the real person. Oh yeah, hmm. like I think they're. I just think like all the edges are rounded. Do you know what I mean? Here's like, they're, where like, I feel like they could have had a prison riot. The scene in the very beginning where Robert De Niro with his busted up face is yeah. handcuffed and fights the guy for yeah. using the N word. Why doesn't it happens in like a train station? Yeah. Why can't that be happening in a holding cell? That counts as a prison riot. Deal. Even though it's not technically a prison. A Correct. jail riot? A jail riot. A brig riot. Brig yeah. riot. Brig riot. So, there we go. Sorted. Uh, well done. Way to justify your... Father's Day is coming up, guys. <laughs> so, speaking of fathers, his father gave him a radio... And I want to talk about this. I don't usually nitpick a prop, but I was very annoyed by this prop because at some point it gets smashed and then fixed because that's a metaphor for how Robert De Niro has come to accept him and take him on as a a son-like role. And he's repaired it. And on the side there is carved some letters, A-S-N-F. Yeah. And you don't know what it is, but then he like, Robert De Niro writes on it, a son never forgets. And Cuba Gooding Jr. turns a little knob with like a nail wrapped to it. So it's like a homemade ham radio. And inside, it's glowing a warm yeah. red light. And I was like, that's not happening. There is no light-up element to this no, homemade, a, there's a nail on it It's thing. a transistor radio. Why would it glow? Because old transistors in the 1940s glowed like, glowed like light bulbs. Really? What? Yeah. You can buy it. They're very incredibly expensive nowadays because hipsters in Brooklyn like them. Uh. You go to Lawrenceville into someone's apartment, they have a transistor like record player or something, like an amplifier. It ha- looks like it has light bulbs on it, but they look like very... Oh, that's what those are! Very orange Edison bulbs is what they look like. 
And so that was in a homemade radio. That's the only way that that would have worked. That's so how, I have to give props how, to the prop master instead of being like, yeah. come on, that's dumb. That's how they adjusted the resistance of the electronics. It's almost like you are Master Chief Billy Sunday. And at first you're like, I don't know about this radio prop. Only I'm way less horrible a person, I hope. I can't speak to that. It's just my sincere wish in this world to be perceived as a kind person. But yes, continue calling me. <laughs> also, I feel like this whole metaphor is incredibly racist. I'm like, Cuba Jr. is like that radio prop. I thought you meant the props master. <laughs> This is all gonna get <laughs> Okay, we're gonna talk about the transistor thing though. That's important. No, we can cut that out too. I don't want to be seen as dumb twice on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> You've done that yourself. But I just want know. I want everyone to know. I also don't know if this is worth keeping in or not, but as I was putting the movie on, I was also like making a cup of tea and getting ready for the long slog of a two hour, ten minute movie <laughs> that barely has Charlize Theron in it. <laughs> And I saw Bill Cosby, producer, come up. Yeah. And my heart just sank. Same. And I was like, what a difference 17 years make. But one thing I do want to acknowledge about the production of this movie is that the director is black, which is very nice. A nice surprise that a, a movie made in 2000 about civil rights actually had a black director. He also made Soul Food. Which is a much better movie. I also, like, I just have a problem with valorizing, like, if you suffer through and do a bunch of push-ups, everything's okay. Well, that's the other, that's one of the other tropes that this movie has. It's like the, through adversity, like, through struggle, you can overcome adversity. Uh, And it's not necessarily wrong, but it's been done so many times... It just ends up being like, oh, is he going to succeed? Like, it also, it's a true story. So you're like, well, I wonder how it's going to turn out. Yeah. Is he going to be okay? I suspect the person who failed to do 12 steps doesn't get a movie made about them. Exactly. I assume yeah. that those types of people existed, though. Well, I had never heard of this guy. I had neither. Yeah. Neither. yeah. So, and I, I did find it to be a really interesting and, like, frankly, an inspiring story. Like, true. You know, it's my general feelings about this movie is that it's very old-fashioned and it's very hokey. And it's not great by any stretch of the imagination. But it was solidly good for me. I agree. And I also think, like you said, like, this is someone I had never heard of. Yeah. And so I'm glad that, like, this brought them more to the public eye. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I wish the movie would have done more of the nuance of, like, how hard diving used to be. Because, like, I just found, like, the technology of that, like, confusing and kind of interesting. Like, oh my god, look at the... The crazy stuff they had to put up with to be able to do the things that they did, whereas now, like, technology has improved so much. Right. Um, and they sort of they talk have, about that. They have spun copper instead of brass. They do. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's still heavy as shit. <laughs> also, they can carry oxygen on their back, not through a giant hose. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oddly, I think might be better through a hose, because that never runs out. But if a submarine <laughs> comes, you might get caught on its... On its finger. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it was. Yeah, that was a genuinely tense bit, I thought. I yeah, know. although I wrote down in my notes, I wonder what CGI cop Bob Shields thinks about this submarine. <laughs> well, so this is the thing that, like, U571 and all that kind of ran into. Yeah. It's like, well, you can disguise hokey CGI if it's misty underwater. <laughs> so it's like, there's definitely some elements where they definitely push that envelope a little bit. Yeah. Where it's like going past the camera and you see the road and you're like, wow, that doesn't look convincingly blurred. Yes. In the way that it's spinning. But I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like, okay. they, did, they did a fine job. You're grading on a curve because it was yes. 2000. Exactly. Fair yeah. enough. Um, but yeah, so it, that's, I thought that scene was good, actually. The, the getting caught into something. Because I was like, I don't know what's going on. I was definitely, I was, I was like, well, I, he might, maybe that hose will get cut and he'll have five minutes to get to the surface. Who right. knows? Like, I genuinely was 
tense during that scene. Yes. All right. Are we going to rank them? Let's do it. I think so. I'll start. I'm actually, <laughs> I, even though I'm like, this movie is not great in any way, I am going to put it above Prometheus because Prometheus had glaring flaws <laughs> that this one doesn't so much. It's more like, this is fine. So it's going to be my number four. So just below Kubo in the two strings, gigantic gap there. <laughs> huge, huge gap, but above Prometheus. I keep forgetting that Prometheus is so high for you because I am going to put this below Prometheus. Oh my. Even though I would argue that this is a better movie than Prometheus, but this is one of the first times I'm leaning into, this is my list of Charlize movies and she mm. is not yes. in it yes. enough. Yes. And although I did not enjoy Prometheus, she's in it way more and I see her do a push up in it. So it <laughs> rises above. Okay. But I am putting it above Cider House Rules because as you may recall, I really don't like that movie. Right. <laughs> um, so even though she's barely in this, every moment she's in it is a treasure in that regard, I guess. So th- I don't know what the number is, but I that's where I'm putting them. That's going to be your your 11. Yeah. Out of 13. So that's low. It's low. And yeah. it's largely because she's barely in it. Yeah. That's legit. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. That's my logic. So mine, uh, I just I actually count, because it's so far down my list, I counted how far down my list it is. And this is our 13th episode, and this is going to be my number seven. So it's like right smack in the middle. Incredibly middle of the road. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so it is... It is one above Cider House Rules and one below The Italian Job. And the reason I think The Italian Job and actually Legend of Bagger Vance is one above that, uh, just pit that out is for pure Charlesiness. Like, okay. It is, this movie is cliched and it is more about Robert De Niro and Cooper Gooding Jr. than it is about Charlize. Um, and I'm just kind of like, eh, it was fine. It's it, This is like... This is like the old wallpaper of Hollywood. This is what Hollywood used to just churn out. Yes. And every now and then you'd get a good one like The Green Mile or something like that. Right. Uh, but then, yeah, this was just one of the mediocre ones. This movie just wanted to be A Few Good Men. Yes. It's, it wanted, it's different. It wanted, to, it wanted to be A Few Good Men. It wanted to be Forrest Gump. It wanted to be, you know. Yeah. A, you know, a bunch I haven't of seen things. that movie in a long time. It just, I just was genuinely effective for me. And I'm very, I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, this is cliche. This is not groundbreaking in any way, but it's working. So it's very much to me in the same vein of movie as Cider House Rules and Bagger Vance. But this one, I enjoyed a lot more than either of those. I really would be interested to see this movie as a modern day like HBO show. Yeah, yeah, like good. I feel oh my god, like, how gross of, would that amputation be? Yeah, Band of Brothers style. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like this person obviously had like so much happening in their life, mm-hmm. and I feel like this movie is trying to sketch in a lot. And I think that if I'm giving the movie credit, they have to compress a lot of things, and they can't tell the whole story of you know. Uh, segregation in the military through one character but i feel like the way that television had gotten so good these days is if they had like a full season or two seasons to like really delve into it and i think you know if it sort of got the treatment that uh, john adams got kind of thing like it was like here's a mini series about this impressive person where we can ask more probing questions and get better dialogue right and do you know that cooper gooding jr can do a good Long form miniseries yes, on TV. Like, yeah, that's a really one that's a really good idea. Yeah, that's you're so smart. We're yeah. Doing that. Has there have there been any of that style miniseries out lately? Well, I um, guess People versus OJ Simpson sort of counts, but it's not like about one person. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I can think of that has similar kind of aesthetic to this is maybe like The Pacific or something like that. 
which is the follow-up to Band of Brothers. It's Band of Brothers Part 2. Yes. Which is really good, um, and it's about people, you know, Marines in the Navy, so... Interesting. It's good. Yeah, I just, I mean, I do feel like a lot of the iconic military movies and TV shows are primarily about uh, white men in the military. Right. If I'm not mistaken about that. Yes. And obviously, like, like, honestly, like, watching this movie just made me be like, I'd like to see G.I. Jane again. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, I feel like that's what it reminded me of the most, even more than Forrest Gump, as I was like, this feels like G.I. Jane, except for that movie ended when she left boot camp, and this movie was like, nope, still got an hour to go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This movie is long. Yes. Long, 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 long. Miniseries. Way better. Season one. Diving school. I also feel like miniseries, uh, they do a good job of justifying cliches as well, because they spend more time on what forms the like the structure of that because mm-hmm. at this one you just have the oh the formerly asshole like unforgivable dickish character actually becomes the respected mentor and like his previously discouraging speech about i don't know why anyone would be a navy diver suddenly becomes motivating at the end you're like you haven't really earned that turnaround like it's too extreme for two hours also can we talk about how this is just occurring to me now because of my white privilege but it's kind of weird that they made a biopic biopic yep about a an incredible trailblazing black man, and it is equally as much about the white guy who gave him a hard time. <laughs> Who's, like, definitively not as good as him. Yeah. It's like, well, he was mediocre, but let's make sure he gets at least half of the movie's attention. Right. That's, that's <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I, so a thing that I enjoyed... <laughs> Because, like, this movie, I think, also, like, to your point, I think a miniseries would be able to delve more into the concept of honor, which is allegedly what is partly driving these people. Um, And I think a lot of their motivation is very thin. They Um, steer into the middle distance a lot. Right, like, Cuba Gooding Jr.'s, like, entire journey is based on one very short speech, which is his father at the beginning being like, just keep going. Uh, And I feel like a miniseries, like, he would allow, he would be allowed to have more complex characterization Mm -hmm. and motivation. But I loved that... In the courtroom scene, they give the titular line like, what's the most important thing about being in the military? Honor. And the pencil pusher is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on with it. And I feel like that is actually a legitimate response because I don't think this movie grapples with the idea of honor and like what it means for people of the military or in the Navy for that to be a thing for them. They are at no point in combat. Correct. This is all happening between wars. Yes. Like Robert De Niro's character was in Korea but this is all between wars. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that you can't have honor not during a wartime. Oh, I don't, I did not I, mean to imply that. I'm yeah. sorry. No, uh, that, yeah, that's, that's not what I'm, I don't know. I just, I feel like a miniseries would have gone more into that. Does that make any sense? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel like the, I feel like the movie was more interested in, uh, feats of endurance. Yes. And didn't, and he, and he says, like, Cuba Gooding Jr. says, like, I was in the Navy because it's full of traditions, some good and some bad. And I'm like, that's all. I don't know. I, just, I feel like there's a lot more to be said there. Yeah. And I'm not someone who's like, yay, the military, like, unreservedly. Right. But, I, you know, I think that, like, that story is compelling. And mm-hmm. basically, HBO, if you would like to do a miniseries about Carl Brashear, I would watch it. Also, Carl Brashear is the great uncle of Donald Brashear, the hockey player. Wikipedia rabbit hole! (laughs) Who was his dentist? (laughs) I don't know. Not Zoe Chenitz's dad. (laughs) All right. All right. Yep. Okay. So thank you so much for listening to Theranathon. Please do the thing where you subscribe or like us or leave comments. 
etc. If you're an irregular listener, uh, we would encourage you to listen more regularly. You'll feel better. You'll know exactly what Regina's talking about when she corrects her pronunciation on a term from three episodes ago. Correct. Yeah, you'll be like, mm, got that. Mm, I'm in. <laughs> oh, I remember that one. Ah, she was a fool then. <laughs> Look at her humbly admit it. How much she's learned in three episodes. But not about transistors. Well, really, you learned it immediately after that episode, but then just forgot to mention it in the following episode. You're just shaming me. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, you should check out... Alex reads music because he made our theme song, and we talk about it every week. And I will not stop talking about how great the theme because song it's is. Because the greatest theme song of all time. It is amazing. It's Fuck you, Hawaii Five O. <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you to my co-hosts Robin and Regina. Yay! And most of all, thank, thank you, Charlies. <laughs> And then the one guy who's already there was like, fuck this, I'm not dying underwater. And he ditches his friend who's going to asphyxiate. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Speak in the Queen's English. <laughs>